of John, chapter 12, starting verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. May God's word shape us and form us. We are in the Sunday before Easter, and traditionally, uh, this Sunday, uh, the pastor or the worship team has a choice. Um, it's either a Palm Sunday, we either do the Palm Sunday liturgy, or we do a Passion Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday being um, the script surrounding the scripture of the triumphal entry, and Passion Sunday being all the scriptures leading up to Jesus' death, his suffering, his torture, his crucifixion. And um, because we're doing a Good Friday service, we thought the uh, scriptures around the Passion would be a good, good thing for a uh, Good Friday. It's actually pretty complex, I think, to preach on Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry because the scene and the tenor of the passage and the atmosphere of the people as Jesus enters into Jerusalem is one of excitement, exuberance, celebration, and energy, right, and joy. And people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Hosanna in the highest. And we worship and we may sing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And the kids are parading around the church, waving their palm branches to reenact this scene, this triumphant entry. Um, but a lot of scholars, a lot of people look at the passage and say, well, what about this crowd, right? And there's oftentimes a cynical interpretation of the crowd and their motivations. So, so if you take that tact, it's like, oh, our kids are playing out, right? A fake celebration. Or so the, this same crowd is the crowd that will say, crucify him, crucify him, many things. So it's, it's a mixed thing. It's a mixed thing. And so it's a challenge to speak about this passage because one, I could be like, woo, let's celebrate. Jesus is king. And on the flip side, it's like, and these same people will be there when he's judged and executed. And they may, that same momentum, that same energy would be the wave that actually leads Jesus to his execution. So is it a sad day or is it a happy day? And, and this is the challenge. And I think actually it's the challenge of real life. It's the challenge of real life. Because how do we take this Sunday and its joy and celebration and its energy and make that turn to Good Friday and then to Easter? Or how do you take e uh, Good Friday and just the suffering that Jesus goes through, the darkness and the death. And three days later, woo, Easter eggs, spring flowers, lilies, new life, right? 
You may say a, a, a casual observer who's coming to church may feel emotional whiplash, right? It's like, oh, happy, sad, oh, 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 oh. But I think such is life, right? Life is full of ups and downs. Life has death in it, and life has life in it. There are things that fall apart. There are things that don't go well for us. There are things that don't work out. There's tragedy. There's hurt. There's pain. And there's also renewal and new life and celebration. And sometimes, some would say, because of the depths, we experience the heights. And because of the heights, we experience the depths. And when Jesus, as we looked at last week, said, when I am raised up, meaning when I'm put on the cross, I will draw all people to myself, what he was talking about is, I understand the human condition. I understand people. I understand the depths of pain and the depths of joy that all people can experience. And so when I go on this cross, people will resonate. People will come and see me and be drawn to me. All people, all people, because they will see something in my humiliation. They will see something in my death. They will see something and the excruciating look on my face that speaks to them, that speaks deeply into their souls. And so, I mean, Eric and I talk about this all the time, especially around Easter. How do we stay in lament, right? How do we embrace lament? How do we embrace the realness of the things that people are actually going through in our world? And yet, Cling to the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a real, authentic way, not a contrived way, not emotional manipulation, but to truly trust that the power of God is in the cross of Jesus Christ and that he will come. And so we have our hands, palms upward, and we're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because we can't fake the funk on a nasty dunk, right? We can't just do it. We can't fake it. God has to show up in this place. And I wish that we, I mean, we probably should be doing testimony time every Sunday to hear the stories of your lives and the lives of people around you. So I can hear reflected, yes, God is moving. Yes, you are struggling. Yes, he is answering prayer. He's moving, he's working. And then we could have a big celebration, right? And praising God, yes, here is a God sighting. God is doing this. God is raising up people. God is the resurrecting God. And he's resurrecting us. Amen? Um, Jesus was subversive to the dominant values. And this is the irony of this passage. Jesus was, a subversive, was subversive to the dominant values. One writer says, it is all a part of the greatest irony of all. The true king, the true Messiah, the great human being and son of God is a collapsed figure on a cross. Compassion and loneliness confront human images of power 
and success. The failure of Jesus is his success. His truth is faithfulness to love, to love and compassion without bowing to compromise, which would betray himself and others. Even though asses were not necessarily bottom of the range in public transport, the image of Jesus on the foal of an ass does depict lowliness. So here's the question. As we see Jesus marching into Jerusalem to the crowds, waving their palm branches and shouting out Hosanna and laying down the branches and their clothing, their robes on the ground before Jesus as he comes uh, with the foal, as he rides through. How are we to read uh, this, the people's response? How are we to read this crowd? Is it a mob, right? or is it a crowd of believers? And we've seen these crowds in John. They've been building, and they've been building. Each time that Jesus shows up and he's done miracle after miracle, it's that he gains more followers. Right? And we know that there's concentric circles of followers around Jesus. You have Jesus' 12, right? And even amidst the 12, there's the three disciples that are closest to him. And then you, people say there's the 40 and the 120 or whatever. There, there, and then there's the crowd. And in John chapter 6, we see the feeding of the 5,000. Right? The feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. They weren't even counting the women and the children. So at least ten to 15,000 people that Jesus fed through his miracle of abundance. And it says in verse 14 of John chapter 6, following this great amazing feeding, that after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The people want to make Jesus king. Whatever it is, some sort of internal cultural knowledge of a savior king who would come, right, through scriptures or what they heard as children growing up, here is the promised Messiah, right, in the line of David. The Savior King will come and he'll deliver us from our oppressors. He'll change things. He'll make things better. And so they want to make, Jesus knew that they wanted to make him king by force. And at that time in John chapter 6, he withdraws. He'll, he, ha, he will have nothing to do with it. I don't want to be crowned king. Don't crown me. Right? Jesus was a laid low type of guy. Just keep it on the DM. Right? I'm going to be me. I'm going to be Jesusing. But keep it on the DM. But in our passage now, Jesus lives into that. The people still want to make him king. The crowds have grown larger and larger, and it says, it's the time of Passover, and they're near Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, during the Passover, the population swells because everyone makes their pilgrimage 
to Jerusalem to bring their offerings to celebrate the Passover. So the city is packed. It's like the Super Bowl is in Jerusalem. And all the inns are, are reserved, the rooms are reserved, all the restaurants are full. The city is just saturated with people. And there's this buzz. There's this buzz because Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And the, the, Pharisees, it says the Pharisees and the chief priests, all the religious leaders, are so upset and angry because people are following and believing in Jesus. And it says they, they begin to plot to kill Jesus. And on top of that, it says that they begin to plot to kill Lazarus too. It's like, Lazarus was raised from the dead. That's what kind of thinking are you thinking when you want to kill a guy who just was raised from the dead? Yeah. Right? <laughs> but they want to kill Lazarus because what? He's the living proof and evidence of Jesus' power and miraculous resurrection power. And they just want to get rid of all evidence. They want to put that down. Because the people are flocking, are crowding around Jesus. And it's not sitting right in their hearts. And it says that hearing that Jesus was staying at the home um, in Jerusalem, the crowds went, sought him out to find him. Not just, and they sought him out not just to see him, but they wanted to see Lazarus as well. They wanted to see this, this story, this testimony of resurrection and new life. And I think this is about the part of me because I'm kind of drawn to conflict. And Janice, my wife, hates this. I'm drawn to conflict. You know, I see two people arguing over there in the street. I walk towards them. I'm like watching them, listening to them ready to like butt in or maybe jump in if, if I can. No, I, don't, I won't jump in. <laughs> but Janice always gets afraid. It's like, it could get dangerous. You could get hurt. But I'm just drawn to conflict, to fighting, to like energy. And, um, and I think people, some people in this crowd are like this. They know a fight is coming, right? The chief priest want to kill Jesus. They have a bounty on his head, right? a reward for killing him. They want to kill Lazarus. And Jesus, instead of hiding out and laying low at this point, is actually entering Jerusalem. He's, it's like here are two powers coming to confront one another. And that's why the city's a buzz. What's going to happen? Jesus is walking in to the head of the dragon, right? Right into the fire pit. And people are like, whoa, something's gonna happen. Either a revolution's gonna happen or someone's gonna get killed. This is really exciting. Who is this Jesus? And what is this crowd? Who is in this crowd? Are they disciples, like hardcore disciples of Jesus who understand, oh, this is the Messiah, right? And he must come into the city and he must be led to his death because ultimately 
He'll be raised again, and that's God's plan, right? Not even his disciples understood that, right? Or is this crowd wanting so desperately this king, this, this strong person, to come and deliver them and free them and to at least speak some sort of good news, some sort of speak and enact some sort of new reality into their lives that was different from what they were experiencing. Right? Here is a king. And when we see that when Jesus is crucified, it says over his, on, his, on the cross, king of the Jews, right? And this is in mockery of what the people were wanting to make him king. He was supposedly the king of the Jews. Perhaps there are people in the crowd who are riding the hype wave. Right? Hey, it's like, why are all these people running around following Jesus? I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow him too. Right? There's this energy. Um, maybe there were some people uh, who heard, like I said, that there was gonna be a big conflict and a big fight that the religious leaders uh, were spitting anger and putting and wanting to kill Jesus and Jesus was stepping right into the middle of that. Maybe people had seen and heard about these miracles that Jesus did of touching people and healing people and finally bringing this man to life and they were like, I want to see that. I want a miracle in my life. I want healing in my life. I want to see Jesus do this in my life. And maybe, but just maybe, just as the woman who said, maybe if I just touch the hem of the cloak of Jesus, I'll be healed. I won't bother him. I just need to touch him. Or like Zachariah climbing up the tree because he was too short to look over the crowds. I really resonate with Zachariah, tree climber. Just because he's a tree climber. Climbing the tree to see, just to see Jesus, just to be near to him. What is this crowd? Is it a crowd of disciples and followers? Or is this crowd a mob? Right? Or is it the hype train? My son Isaiah and I, I'm trying to teach Isaiah in his young life. He's nine years old, and he thinks he's so experienced. It's an experienced life. And last year, if you remember, near the end of the school years, those things, the fidget spinners, right? Those things you spin around, they were like really popular. And everyone was getting them, everyone was taking them to school, and schools were starting to like, we sh should we ban fidget spinners? And, and then my son would be like, well, I'm ADHD, so I should get a fidget spinner. And like, he would like, try to keep those. And, and he said, these, I would, I would be like, that's just a trend, that's a fad. He's like, what's a fad? Oh, it'll last maybe one or two months, and then it'll go away. And he's like, that's not a fad. Fidget spinners are gonna be here forever. <laughs> and I just traced through my life, and I was like, Isaiah, you're eight years old, now he's nine. I've been through life, I've seen trends come and go. Swatch watches, Cabbage Patch Kids, Jelly Shoes, Parachute Pants, Michael Jackson Jackets, 
Michael Jackson, right hand gloves, all of these things, right? Garbage Pail Kids, base, even baseball cards, all of these things came and went, right, with the school year. And I said, I bet you $5 that next fall, when you come to school, no one will have fidget spinners. He's like, no! And yeah, sure enough, bam. And so, I don't know what it was this, this other morning, he was like, this is gonna last forever. And I'm like, no, don't collect it, because you're gonna, you're gonna get tired of it, you're gonna get bored of it. It's just hype, it's just a trend. You remember the fidget spinners? He's like, no, I, I get it. I get it. Fidget spinners were a fad, but this is like the real deal. <laughs> My young Padawan, grasshopper. <laughs> this too will fade away. Uh, hype, right? The crowd, what's popular, what's trendy what's trending on Twitter, right? what YouTube video is getting all the hits. And, uh, and people jump on those things. They jump on the bandwagon. We used to think that the Seattle Mariners would always sell out Safeco Field, 35,000, 40,000 people especially on a sunny day, retractable roof. Wow, high-tech new stadium. It's foolproof, right? It'll never fade. But 10 or 12 years of losing and not going to the playoffs will shrink your attendance, and it has. And people have jumped off the bandwagon, right? Or when the, uh, when the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, I know before no one had jerseys. I had like Hasselback jerseys. I had Largent jerseys. I always wore my jerseys. I was a faithful fan on the uh, on the. I was a faithful fan, not a bandwagon fan. And they go to the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden, Costco has Seahawks jerseys. Everyone has Seahawks jerseys and Seahawks hats, right? And they're. Everyone, there'd be Blue Friday or whatever, and everybody would be wearing their Seahawks gear on Friday, and I would get so frustrated, like, you guys are bandwagon fans, and then someone corrected me and said, if you're truly a fan of the Seahawks, you would want more fans of them, right? And I'm like, oh, it's like church, it's like what I tell my people, right? You should want people to jump on the church bandwagon, right? Oh, you haven't been following Jesus long enough. You're not real. Right? But we as people should want people to jump on. Anyways, I'm sidetracking. And I, I've forgotten why I've gotten to this point. But the hype train, the crowds, really, do you trust that these people are really giving their lives and believing in Jesus and wanting and knowing him for who he truly is and up truly understanding what he's doing and the epicness of this point in history, this person in this place, what is happening? What is God doing? Do you think people truly understood or were they jumping on the bandwagon just because everyone else was? And were these the same people when Pilate put up 
Barabbas and Jesus and said, who do you choose? Were they the same people that said, crucify him, crucify him? Because the stacks were chipped. The chips were stacked against him now. And it wasn't the trending choice. And so they said, forget Jesus. When now on this day, they were saying, King Jesus, Hosanna. John quotes uh, Zechariah 9.9 and the passages that we read as a community, Psalm 118, um, the song of ascents in this passage. So uh, the, the part about, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt, is Zechariah 9.9. And this is supposed to be a prophetic passage, kind of a, a snapshot, a foretaste of the coming Messiah King that would come. Don't be afraid, daughter Zion. Your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And this idea of a donkey and its, its offspring being what a king is riding on. Right? Imagine this Jesus and this small colt, and he's just riding on this colt. Um, it is an image of lowliness, lowliness and humility. That's Zechariah 9, 9. And then when the crowds taking the palm branches went out to meet him and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. That's found in Psalm 118. And that section, Psalm 118 to 120 something, 115 to 120 something, is called the Song of Ascents, Psalms of Ascents. And ascent meaning you climb. And, and people know now that those psalms were songs of worship and liturgy as people were making their pilgrimage during Passover to the temple. And some people say that people would actually, and as the psalm we read said, would be waving their branches, right? And climbing each step, right? And there are, the steps to the temple supposedly match the number of psalm, songs of ascent. Right? And after each step, as they approached the altar in the tabernacle, they would say, they would say something, something of worship. Right? And so in Psalm 118, we read, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As they're approaching closer and closer to the altar. And it's the people of Israel enacting through their worship, right, God's salvation story. They're enacting, and that's what we do when we come to worship. We enact and live through God's salvation story, and we make the motions saying, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, save us. Right? And in that time, way back then, they're saying, they're approaching the temple and saying, save us, save us, king. And it, it's a telescoping of the people crying out to a Messiah, save us, save us, right? And kind of the impressions through generations of people are, are impressions are in their soul DNA to await a Messiah, right? It's built in to the scripture. 
It's built into the genetics, the soul genetics, to be awaiting this. And so as the people are crying this out, they're living out what they've read in scripture, and they're living out a supplication, a praise, a worship for the coming Messiah. Save us, save us. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. And whether or not, I don't know where this crowd is at, or maybe it's a mixed crowd, right? And my question today is for you, who are you in the crowd, right? Why have you come? Why are you coming into this place? Or why are you at church or in a church community? Oh, as you come to worship, who are you in the crowd? Is it the hype? Right? It's, I've always done it. It's the most comfortable thing for me. I've always gone to church. I don't know anything different. On Palm Sunday, I come. On Easter, I come. I've, grew up, I've grown up this way. Or is it something is calling in my heart? I'm hungry to see a miracle. I need power in my life. <coughs> I need change. Come, Lord, you know, I, I need to experience, experience, have an experience, a spiritual experience of God. Or is it, I don't know, we see the injustice in the world, right? Refugees, immigration, women crying out. We've been abused. We've been assaulted. And you're like, the church needs to do something. And I'm going to be at a church that's doing something about that or saying something about that. Who are the people in this room, in this crowd? Why have we come to see Jesus? What kind of king is Jesus to you? Does that question make sense? When you say... King Jesus, what kind of king is Jesus to you? Where are you? Why have you come to see Jesus? How do others you know view Jesus? And I think the very last verse of our passage um, is really telling and kind of will bring us home. As first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Not even the disciples who were closest to him really understood the meaning of that day. Why is this happening? In, other, in, other, in the other gospels, Jesus tells them, oh, go into the city, you'll see a, the cult tied up just take it. And then if anyone asks, tell them the Lord has need of it. Or quote this scripture. And they do it. Okay. And it happens like, they, like it said. And then he rides through on the cult. Right. Just, just do like I tell you. And I think all this was to emphasize that Jesus was the fulfillment of scripture. That in this moment, he embodied the scripture. And that's why all the gospel says See, that's why it's written back then. He's going to ride on a colt. He's going to do this and that. It's the king. 
So Jesus doesn't lay up, doesn't keep things on the DL, but he rides the wave of the crowd into the city. He rides the wave into his death. He rides the wave into conflict, right? Because this is his destiny. This is the fulfillment and the embodiment of prophecy and scripture. This is the Messiah. But it's not what people expected. It's not what the crowd were, were meaning when they were like, Hosanna. They were ex everyone had different expectations, right? And it's only after Jesus died and was resurrected and, and came back to life that the disciples were like, mind blown. Like, oh, like something clicked, paradigm shift. That's why that happened. Right? And that's what I hope as a parent, right? When I say mean things and strict things to my son, you know, and my daughter, hopefully 20 years from now, they'll be like, my father was so wise. <laughs> oh, right? Just like now, when I look back at what my crazy parents said to me, I'm like, that's why they said that. And that's the disciples' response. Jesus' teaching will begin to unfold for them like jewels after the fact. Right? After the fact, they realized just who Jesus was, and this would build be the foundation of the church. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Jesus does not meet people's expectations of king. He is the king of kings. He does not meet your expectations of what a king is, what a savior should be. He is the king of kings, savior of the world. And when he died on the cross, every single person who was shouting Hosanna that day, their world would be turned upside down. Jesus does not conform to the popular vote. Jesus does not sell out to dominant values. Jesus does not give in to riches or power or status or popularity. Jesus does not take money to look the other way at children dying or the poor suffering. When Jesus walked into Jerusalem, he was walking into the dragon's lair. The irony of the crowd lifting him up and crowning him is that it threw through it actually threw fuel into the fire. It escalated the conflict. It accelerated the inevitable. His torture and death on the cross. Jesus' march into Jerusalem was not unlike the many marches into D.C. we've seen in our country's history. It was a protest. Things are not right in this world. This must stop now, never again. People are not being heard. People are being hurt. And the powers are not listening. In fact, the powers are feeding off the suffering of the weak. The beauty of Jesus' kingship was that his crowning on earth was a protest and that his greatest failure was actually the bestest good news. Freedom for the captives, sight for the blind, the lame walk, the poor rejoice, 
and souls are saved. We see in Matthew, as he's following this same story, this entry, Jesus goes straight to the temple and turns it upside down in protest after coming into Jerusalem. If he ever wanted to give a reason for the Pharisees and chief priests to, to hate him, that, that was like the icing on the cake. So what kind of king is Jesus to you? Are you living life chasing a miracle? Are you desperate for new life? Are you desperate to be raised from the dead? Are you, like me, looking for a little conflict? Something to fight everyone and everything around you with? Is he the popular choice for you? The comfortable choice? The choice because you have no other choice? Declaring Jesus king in your life and crying Hosanna may actually lead to more frustration, to more suffering, to mourning and lament. But ultimately, this king is the king of life who robbed the grave and put death in its place. You know, I grew up, I tell the story, I grew up a PK, and uh, it's funny watching Isaiah, you know, as people are, as Erica is, saying, oh, come up and receive your gift. And he's, he throws his head back and he's like, ah. And in me, there's like two choices, right? There's two emotions in me. It, the one emotion is, get it straight, kid. You're embarrassing me, right? Like, how, you're not representing the Sim family. I'm the pastor of this church and you're like being so cynical. And I'm like, to Andrew, he's so cynical. And Andrew's like, oh, he's a PK. Almost like, yeah, he's a PK. Of course he would be. And I'm like, oh, how am I going to raise this kid? You know? And that's exactly what turned me off from the church. Right? You got to sit straight. You got to wear the right clothes, the stiff clothes. You got to be Bible smart. And you got to not talk during worship. And my dad would like yell at me at church. And I knew... If he said something to me at church, I would get a whooping at home, right? And I was like, I wanted to get away from that. When I hit college, it was like, yeah, I want to rock. But, and the other part of me as a father is like, let it go, let it go. Like, I just need to let it go. Because me actually putting that pressure on him is what is going to build that, that rejection. And then after all that, there's this third choice. It's like, I'm not in control anyway. You know? Really, am I in that much control of my children and their influences or how they receive God? Am I really in that much control? I can be faithful to bring the scriptures to them in some way, to bring my teachings to them in some way. But really, can I prevent Isaiah from being an atheist? Or like going off, you know, rebelling in some way? No. What I am in control of is loving him like Jesus would love. Right? And so that's, um, that's my testimony about what kind of king Jesus has been to me.
For a, law, for a large part of my life, God has been a stern father who is always looking at the mistakes you make and ready to catch you, right? Sit straight. It's a stuffy God, right? So what is, who is King Jesus to you? We're going to take some time woo, to respond. What kind of king is Jesus to you? And get in pairs and threes and for like three minutes. Just share what kind of king Jesus is to you. Does that make sense? Is that fair? All right. Go.